0: Hey, thank you so much for joining us for today's podcast. We are MVF Church based out of Heber City, Utah. If you'd like to check out the live recording of this teaching, you can find that at mvfchurch.com. We're glad that you've joined us today, so let's get into the teaching. Today we are, we can celebrate this for a minute, we are halfway through the journey with Jesus. So you can celebrate that, you know, that's a good thing. Um, uh, we uh, So hopefully you if you have your journals, uh, pull them out. I want to encourage you to be using those journals. If you don't have one, let us know. We want to make sure we get one in your hands. Uh, but we're at week 23. We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 11, verse 37-53. through 53. And today's sermon I titled, Don't Become an Accidental Pharisee. Don't Become an Accidental Pharisee. Now, <clears throat> we'll get more into what I mean by that a little later. But let's pray, and then uh, we'll jump in. Father God, thank you so much uh, for today—a day that we can come and worship you. We can come and celebrate uh, walking in you, um, and Lord, just growing in you. Uh, Lord, I know there's people here with all different, coming from all different situations and things going on in life, and, and different places in their faith. Um, and God, I just pray that you—you you just speak to us, um, speak to us with whatever you would have for us this morning. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, if you were with us last week, you remember we saw that Jesus drew a line in the sand. And he tells us and told his listeners at the time that they had to make a choice of whether or not they were with him or against him. And we we all have to make a choice. Jesus doesn't leave any room for middle ground of like, well, he's a good guy. He's this. He He says things that make it very clear. We have to choose whether or not we're with him or not. Now, here's one of the problems, though. A lot of times what happens is once we make a decision to be with Jesus, we have a tendency to start adding all, all sorts of other things about what it means to be with Jesus. And we add those things, and oftentimes those things are what keeps people from wanting to be with Jesus. And many of these things are based on preferences, passions, our past, and pride. It's so like we have preferences about how, what we like, and so we start to add those things into what it means to follow Jesus. God gives us passions about certain things in life, and and we start to develop those passions, and as we do, we start to think, well, everybody should have that passion. Um, we have pasts. We come from different religious pasts or backgrounds and And that might lead to guilt or whatever that kind of creates in us these lists that we feel like we have to keep. And we start adding those things and telling people they have to do those things. And then we also, of course, have our pride, which in our pride oftentimes we like to kind of put ourselves higher than others and make it harder for them to get what we get, to to achieve what we've achieved. (coughs) Today we're going to see that Jesus calls us to not put those things in people's way, the, the way of the other of people that are wanting to know him. So in today's passage, what we see is Jesus finished all the, the talking he was doing after the uh, um, casting out of the demons, right? And he's finished kind of calling the people out and some things. And a, he's invited to the home of a Pharisee. And we're going to see that this leads to some confrontation. Now, if you just kind of picture, put yourself in that time, if this really happened in the in the sequence that Luke has it, you know, Luke, Jesus is kind of on a roll, calling people out for things, and this Pharisee, right after that, is inviting him over for dinner. I don't know about you, but if I was in the, like, area and I heard this, I would have definitely been like, ooh, this is going to be good. I, I would have been like, oh, this there's going to be some confrontation. Some people would have avoided that, like the the plague, I would have been like, hey, is it okay if I come? I just want to, you know, I just I want to chill. And, and, you know, and I would have been like, you know, like, oh, here we go. This is going to be good. Get the popcorn out, right? Um, I would have wanted to be there for the confrontation. I, I kind of enjoy those kinds of situations. So let's listen to the situation. Luke eleven thirty-seven 37. says, while Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went and reclined at the table. And the Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. And the Lord said to him, now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give his alms those things that are within and behold, everything else is clean for you. So this was the first passage I actually memorized, so that way when I went to dinner and I didn't wash my hands, I could just say this to my mom. No, I'm just kidding. <coughs> but but that's not the kind of cleansing that is happening here. This was not, you know, getting actual germs and grime off of, off of you. This was literally, they would have a, a bowl of water that had been sitting out all day and everyone else had used, right? And they would take a cup. And they would pour it over their hands and then take a cloth that everyone else had used and and just dab the hands. It was a way, it was a ceremonial way of saying, I'm cleansing myself before I eat. I'm cleansing my hands of the sin that it's been involved in, been involved in. It was something that the Pharisees and many religious people did. And so Jesus is saying, listen, you're so worried about all these things on the outside. You're so worried about all these things that people can see. Focusing on making yourself look good rather than letting God transform your heart. And he says, if you give your heart to God, everything else will follow. And so what I hope for us to see in this interaction that Jesus has with the Pharisee and as well as some others is that we need to be careful not to fall into the same traps that they fell into. See, oftentimes we, we have a tendency to make the Pharisees out to be bad guys. That the Pharisees were just all bad people. That they just literally were just evil. You know, I mean, I remember like some old religious movies, right? And the Pharisees just looked evil when they walk in and be like, you know, dun, 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 when they would walk in the room. And, and that's not necessarily who they were. They were people who... We're seeking to to follow God. And as they sought to follow God, they got caught up in rules and regulations, and they got caught up in making sure others recognized that they followed God. They got caught up in making sure others saw them as okay. Now, I know we don't ever do that in the church nowadays, right? I mean, all of you, when you got in a fight in the car on the way here, if someone asked you how you were doing, you're like, I don't know, ask her, right? I mean, you walked in like that, right? You, you just, you didn't care, you right? No, what do we do? Oh, everything's fine. Everything's good. Does my, Christ, does my church face look good enough? Am I, you know, and, and we, we, we try to pretend. We, we, we fall into that. And so we have to be careful that we, that we don't get caught up. One of the saddest things to me as a pastor is when I see that someone, they, they're not attending church much, someone who's very regular, not attending church much, and I follow up with them. And I find out the reason they're not coming to church is because they're like, well, I, I just feel like I kind of need to get my stuff together before I come back. And I think, man, that's, that's so sad. Because that's not what we're supposed to be here for. And it shows that we we have a tendency to fall into these things. So I want to look at the six things that Jesus warns them about and see if these are six traps that we can avoid in our own lives. So let's look, verse 42. But woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe the mint, the rue, and every herb, and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. So Jesus is saying the first trap that they need to avoid is the, vo- the trap of self-righteousness. They were, you see, they were, they were doing things to make sure that everyone saw that they were checking the boxes. But then they weren't really worrying about the things that maybe God was putting in front of them that they could do to bless people. They could do to meet social justice needs. They could do to help people, but they felt fine because they're like, "Oh well, look, I I tithe. Not only do I tithe, I tithe down to the ten percent of my of my herbs." They they took it that serious. Of now now in the, in an agricultural society, the 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 Jews did tithe their their food. That was something they did. <clears throat> but the herbs, he's he's getting down to that like. Okay, literally down to the smallest thing. You're like making sure you're measuring it out. But you're neglecting the needs of people. And we can get caught up in that, right? Now notice he says, he says you should have done that. He says you should have been tithing, that's good. He doesn't doesn't say, why are you tithing? He says, that's good that you were doing that. But you did it while avoiding the greatest commandment. To show love. And see, whenever we start to feel self-righteous about our sacrifices, but aren't willing to show mercy and love the people that God puts in front of us, we're missing the point. And sometimes we get so caught up in religious duties and we start to feel self-righteous because look at all the things I do. But then
1: we let The hurt and needs of others go unmet.
0: We have to be careful of the trap of self-righteousness. Then he goes on. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplace. And I think the second trap he's talking about here is pridefulness. The trap of being prideful.
1: He's saying, look, you desire honor.
0: Yeah, you're living a life that is righteous. But now you want to be honored for it. You want special attention. Right? You, you want everyone to recognize it. Some of you may be a part of a church like this, and I don't think it's, it's ever intended. Um, you been, maybe this, you've had this in your past. I've had it in my past. And I've always looked back on it and went, that just seems so weird to me you ever go to a church where the pastor has a designated spot in the front you ever i i i I've been to churches like that where the pastor's spot is right in the front and it's designated for him only and I'm always like, I don't know that seems opposite to me of what what we're supposed to be doing i get I get the think, thinking behind it and you know you can get in and out easy and all that but but it it just seems like it's that, like, oh, he recognized, this is, this is me. and this is, I would always worry about that. I would always be like, now I, everyone knows exactly. You know, I don't know. It would be weird. <laughs> um, but it's this idea that we need to be recognized for what we do. And, you know, we in our pride, we, we get caught up in comparing how people are seeing us compared to other people, don't we? Shoot, we we are built, we love to compare, right? You ever try to give have two kids share something? Like like a food item, and and what's the first thing they do? You 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 do your very best to cut that thing in half, right? And what do they do? They like start comparing. Who got more? Who got more? Right. In our family, we learned we don't do it. We have one of them has to cut it and the other one gets to pick, right? That way, that way it's like, hey, you you figured it out. And they get to choose so. So um, that's, that, here's what some of you, the main thing you're going to walk out of this sermon is, okay, i got to remember. Um, but but we, we love to compare, right? I remember as a little kid, right, comparing dads. Well, my dad could beat your dad up, right? And then we get to be adults. What do we start doing? We start comparing our kids. We start comparing, oh, well, my kid's good at this, or my kid's good. And we, and we, start, we start living in this world of through our kids and comparing them. We love to compare. The problem is when we do that spiritually, when we start to compare ourselves to others, our comparisons are biased towards the areas that we excel in to make us come out on top. And then we look down on other people who don't measure up in the areas that we do well in. Right? So you get someone who loves to serve. And they, and they just have a heart for service. And what do they start doing? They start comparing themselves to people who aren't serving as much as they do. Someone who loves to study theology and, and, and they have a heart for that and they just love to grow in that way. And then they start comparing themselves to people who, who just don't like to study as much. That doesn't, They might still read God's word a lot, but they just don't, aren't, don't do that. Or someone who tithes and they, they start comparing themselves to someone who doesn't tithe. And, and we take these great things that God gives us a heart to do. And rather than be thankful that he gives us a heart for those, we start comparing ourselves. To people who don't do it as well as us. And the hard part is that this is usually found amongst people who really love God the most. They, they they truly have a heart for God, but they get caught up in it. See, this isn't a back of the church sin. Like this isn't the sin that the person who like just, you know, is really like not comfortable in their faith um, gets cut Now that. That's a term I'm just realizing that as I'm saying that. Some of you are like, well, I'm in the back of the church or I'm in the front of the church. Um, but it's just a, it's a something that pastors say sometimes. like they, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's not a sin for people who really aren't real comfortable in the church. It's usually a sin that people who are super comfortable in the church getting caught up in. Jesus tells a parable in Luke 18. We'll dig into it in a few weeks about a tax collector and a Pharisee who both go to the um, to temple to, to worship and pray. And the Pharisee is the one that goes to the front and he, and he cries out to God, but what does he cry out? Thank you that you didn't make me like him. But he's, Jesus says the tax collector is the one who goes home justified before God. So I would ask you, is there anyone or any kind of group or any, any difference that people have that you compare yourself to And you start to look down on.
1: Well, the third trap is the one of
0: neglecting our hearts. Verse 44, he says, Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves, and people walk over them without knowing it. He's saying, You're neglecting your hearts. See, they had allowed their focus to turn to making sure that they appeared holy before those around them rather than letting God work on the inside. I teased about how we come to church and we say everything's fine. But you know, I think we would be better off as a church if every time we did walk in and we really said how we were. Because then we would all, one, know we're not alone in our struggle and our suffering and our, and our pain and our, and our doubts. And we could work through those things together within community. But two, it, it, it's just a posture of being open to
1: God's working on me. I, I got stuff
0: that God's dealing with it's a posture of just being open with our heart and saying, man, I, I am not together. And I, I want to continually open my heart to God filling it. I don't know where I learned the question. I learned it from someone that goes here years ago um, of asking when when I ask someone now how, you do, how you're doing, now you guys are all going to pay attention to this. Um, if I ask someone how they're doing, and if they don't say good if they say fine or okay so it's interesting it's a telling sign that generally it means things aren't great and so i've learned to kind of start asking well what's the difference between okay and great like what well, and you know i'm not taking it super spiritual i'm not like but it's just that idea of like hey i'm 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 I, I'm not just going to walk by you and let you say that, right? I'm gonna, I want to I dig in a little bit here and see, is there something we can pray for right now? Is there something we can, we can talk through a little bit, or can we set an appointment to talk about it later? Because God cares about what's going on in our hearts. And Jesus is saying that these Pharisees had done this so much that they'd become unaware that their heart had gotten hard, and it was dead. And whenever we get caught up on focusing on external motivations, we're going to neglect our heart. See, God wants our hearts, and he knows that if our hearts are submitted to him, the rest is going to follow. If we give to him what Jesus said, if if you give what's on the inside,
1: the rest will follow.
0: Well, it's interesting, so he's coming at this Pharisee, right? He's hitting him with these things he's doing wrong. And it's obviously a group dinner, and there's some people listening, and there's a lawyer there. Now, the lawyer is an expert in Mosaic law, okay? He's not a court lawyer. He's an expert in Mosaic law. And in verse 45, it says, One of the lawyers answered him, Teacher, in saying these things, you insult us also. Now here, I got to say this, either this is the first time this lawyer's ever been around Jesus or he's just not very bright because, because we, we literally have seen Jesus over and over again. If he's going at somebody, chances are the best thing for you to do, unless you want him to go at you is just sit there real quiet. Because even the lady last week, remember the lady last week, blessed is your mom for giving birth to you. And nope, he, he has to challenge that, right? So, so even he, this guy, he's, he's, he somehow thinks he's either so pious, he thinks that, we're, well, we're okay, or he's just not very bright. Um, and, he, and, he, and he asked Jesus, teacher, in saying these things, you insult us also. In verse 46, Jesus says, woe to you lawyers also. For you load, you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. I, I picture the other lawyers there. Like, you ever, like, when one sibling ma- opens her mouth and lets mom and dad in on something, now you're all in trouble? I picture all the lawyers going, What <laughs> the? Right? So, <clears throat> but what's he saying? He's saying, You place heavy burdens on people says you're putting all these heavy burdens on people he's saying you add to the law the law the law is tough enough already and but what did the lawyers do they added things to the law and they made it they they made it sound like it was hard to interpret and they you can only interpret it through them they place these heavy burdens and whenever we add a bunch of things to the gospel we create a heavy burden that's too much for people to carry But the church is, we can be so guilty of this, can't we? I remember when I was a kid listening, uh, my grandma's family was very churched. And I'd listen to stories about them. These were not stories that made me want to go to church. And then they would talk about how when they were young, you would get kicked out of the church for going into a pool hall. Some of you are like... Is it a pool Is it like indoor swimming pool? I don't know. Um, <laughs> um, uh, you, you, you could not wear makeup as a woman. Um, you, they, you know, uh, you couldn't dance. Right? Not even with G, room for Jesus. You could. You couldn't dance at all. Couldn't dance. They had these burdens, these extra things, weights that they added. In my lifetime, I've seen many of them. Extra weights that people put on the gospel. There are Some of the things that you see different churches get behind, or or just even as individuals we, we do, and oftentimes we don't mean to do it. There again, oftentimes it's just a passion that God gives you, but then you kind of, we turn it around and make it, well, like everyone should be doing this. Everyone should do it the way I do it. Or a certain church, God gives them a passion to, to to lead in in a certain way, and then they start making it, well, we're so passionate about this, it's becoming obvious to us that everyone who doesn't do it this way is wrong. That's not what the gospel says. That's not what the Bible says. You know, I mean, some of the things I've seen today are people who get caught up in thinking you can only read a certain version of the Bible. Um, You can only vote one way. Um, I've seen homeschooling become that way. Uh, boycotting. People want to boycott different groups and they get this feeling that everyone needs to boycott that group. Uh, media. Whatever restrictions you put on yourself for media. Instruments in the church. All right? Shoot, I remember the church. I always I say grew up around a church. The church I grew up around, They, uh, you would have thought that hell had opened up and was going to swallow that church whole when they put a drum set in the building. <clears throat> I remember some of the people just flipping out. Like I I would just sit back and just kind of like mm, and, and watch and I remember I was, and it was a dangerous age for me because I was definitely like I went to church cuz of girls not cuz of Jesus at the time. And um so so I was just was definitely me going, "Uh this is not going to be a like that's not something I want to be a part of." Styles of dress. I heard a whole sermon one time preached on if you don't wear a tie as a man, you are dishonoring God when you come to church. That wasn't at a church I went to. Just, it was literally a church that a pastor was passing out because we all thought it was so funny. Um, um, anyway, so so there's these different things that we add on. And here's the deal. Some of these things are awesome. Homeschooling is awesome. You want to, I think there's, a, there's awesome benefits and blessings to homeschooling. But it's not something that everyone is called to do. There, there are certain versions of the Bible that, man, they really bring out Scripture in a different way and make it a, more alive and get more to the, to the point of what the original text was. And I, but it, it's not necessarily the only way God's going to speak to someone. See, the, the, all these things are good things usually.
1: But when we add them, and say, but you have to do it, there's something wrong. What happens is we stop
0: creating disciples and we start creating Pharisees. Usually with the best of intentions. It's usually because we're seeking to keep people from settling for mediocrity. But even worse, what happens is it leads to exclusivity. See, the things the teachers of the law were guilty of doing, these experts in the law... What they were guilty of doing was saying, okay, here's God's mosaic law. Well, we don't want to break God's law, so it's called fencing the law. So we don't want to break God's law, and we don't want other people to break the law. So what we're going to do is create a fence around it of other laws, so people, if obviously, even that way, if they break our law, they're still not guilty of breaking God's law. But then it became this thing that they did to make people feel guilty and less than when they broke it. See, I've set certain parameters on myself because I have certain sins that I know I'm prone to. So I start setting parameters for myself so I don't, I don't fall into that. But that doesn't mean that everyone else has to set the exact same parameter. Jesus didn't come to thin the herd. He came to save the lost. He came to invite a bunch of people to the party that all these other people were trying to keep out because they didn't think they deserved it. And now here he is, the very people they've been spending all this time trying to keep out, he's inviting them in. In fact, that's probably the main thing that Jesus got in trouble with with the religious elite, is he kept including people. They had spent centuries building this system to keep certain people out, and here he comes along just inviting them all right back in. That tended to tick them off a bit. Well, let's look at the fifth one. It says, verse 47. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. So you are witnesses, and you consent to the deeds of your fathers. For they killed them, and you build their tombs. Therefore, also, the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute so that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation. That's a pretty harsh thing he's saying to them. And what he's saying is that, look, your ancestors killed the prophets. Because the prophets came and called them out on many of these things they were doing and and, and how the religious leaders were, uh, were, were holding people back and they were making it easier for themselves and all these kinds of things. And the prophets would call them out on that. And they were killing the prophets. And now you've come along and you've built tombs for the prophets and yet you're still living by the way that your ancestors said that you were supposed to live and the very things that they killed the prophets for. So he says, you're dishonoring those prophets. And I, I think if I were going to boil it down for us, I, would, I think what he's saying is, don't be quick to condam- condemn rather than being quick to inspect. What I mean by that is, be quick to inspect your own heart rather than quick to condemn people that bring the message. Don't, you know... If the pastor says something from the word that you disagree with and you don't like that it's in the Bible, don't, don't be mad at the pastor that it was in the Bible, All right? You, you might disagree with it. Well, that's okay for you to disagree with it, but it has nothing to do with the pastor. It has everything to do with what the Bible says, and you're going to have to figure that out. And maybe what you should do is take more time to inspect your heart And find out if God's trying to do something in your heart with that. And maybe not the pastor. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe a friend is speaking directly to you about something. And rather than get mad at that friend for pointing something out, take time to inspect your heart and ask yourself, is there something that that they're saying that God has a truth in that I need to hear?
1: We sometimes we, we fall into a
0: behavior and we get stuck in it and we think we're right in it. And rather than open our heart and listen to what God might do and the people that God wants to use to open our hearts, we close off and we fight and we argue.
1: And we want to hold to what we think we know.
0: Finally, The sixth trap. He says, woe to you lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves and you hindered those who were entering. Basically, the the lawyers, the, the experts in the law, they were guilty of making God's word seem like it was more difficult than it was. They were guilty of making the average person feel like they couldn't know God's law or understand God's law without them, without them to interpret it, without all the little codes and keys that they had put into it. They made God's word inaccessible. That the average person believed that they they needed these teachers of the law to figure out the nuances of God's word. Well, it's not quite the same today. But I think we can be guilty of making people feel like if they don't have a degree or they don't study for hours on end, that they don't truly understand God's Word. And I think we as Christ followers, we we need to be very grateful because we have God's Word very accessible, more accessible than ever, ever before in the history of the world. And it's accessible so you can read it. Now, here's where I would say Jesus would give us a woe today, really, is he'd say, woe to you, because God's word is everywhere and you don't use it. Right? We, we, we don't open God's word very often as believers. I, I've, I've met believers in other countries, that it blows their mind because it's hard for them to even get a Bible. And we have four of them sitting around our house, plus digital and we're lucky if we like, have a little app with a verse of the day, and we're like, ooh, every other day I look at that, instead of studying God's Word and growing in God's Word. And I think one of the problems is, I think sometimes we've been kind of trained to think that we need scholars to explain God's Word, right? Now, there's nothing wrong with scholarship. And it's good that there are people that teach God's Word in and, and, and a way that help us grow and, and help us understand things a little bit better. But we've got to be careful not to make the average person feel like they need someone to feed them when God's Word is actually meant to be very accessible for us. You don't need $1,000 worth of study tools to read God's Word. You need God's Word. And some of the deepest, strongest Christians I've known are people who have never bought a study tool in their life and have never taken a theology course. But they know God's Word like the back of their hand.
1: And if we're going to have God's Word be this accessible, shame
0: on us for being afraid of it and staying away from it. And and letting the things that bother us keep us from it. And for being distracted so much to the point that we can't open God's word for 15 minutes, 20 minutes a day, and learn it. I think as a culture, we've got to get past the point-and-shoot method of reading the Bible. You know what I mean? Open it up. Okay, that's, that, God has something for me. No, that's not how God speaks. He he speaks to us through through the whole counsel of his word. And we need to know it. We need to not be afraid of it. Don't let scholarship keep you away from it. Yes, scholarship is great. But you don't have to be a scholar to understand God's word and how to apply it. Let's close. Let's see what he says here. Verse 53. <clears throat> As he went away from there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard and to provoke him to speak about many things, lying in wait for him to catch him in something he might say. See, the more Jesus called them out on the stuff that they were doing, the harder their hearts got. That's what we've got to be careful. When we get called out, do our hearts get harder or are we more open to what God has for us? Rather than being open to the fact that they they might be wrong and going home and taking time to pray and examine themselves, they became more hardened. Are you willing to examine yourself? Are you willing to go to quiet places and let God speak to your heart? And challenge your heart. Let's pray. Father God, thank you, God, that you, you really do call us to a simple
1: gospel. A gospel that calls us to just
0: turn it all over to you and submit ourselves to you. But it takes a lot of work on our, in our own hearts to continue learning to submit, continue passing it on to you. Continue digging in to what you have for us so that we can become more and more like you. God, I thank you for hearts in here that have been newly changed. The hearts that are, are, are just opening up and seeing your, you come, come to life in them and, and work in them. I pray, God, that you give them a hunger to continue in that. God, I pray for those hearts who have known you for many years and have maybe just started to get more caught up and more focused on what the world offers or or how they're looking to the world rather than how they're looking to you. God, I pray that you renew a vigor in us to walk in you and to know you. It's in Jesus' name. If you enjoyed this teaching, we would love to have you join us for a live gathering. We are located at 271 North, 600 West in Heber City, Utah. If you need more information about us, including our gathering times or previous teachings, you can find all that at mvfchurch.com. And make sure you follow us on social media too. See you next time.